0: Hello, my rebels. Today, I take you through a poll that was commissioned for Justin Trudeau. This is not some public survey. This was done for the Privy Council office. And I want to show it to you because I want to show you what it says about climate change. And that's relevant because Aaron O'Toole thinks it's a big winner for him. I'll show you the intel that Trudeau himself receives from his Privy Council. I think it's really interesting. Uh, Let me, before I do that, though, invite you to become a subscriber to what we call Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. We show you visuals. I, For example, today I'm going to show you a bunch of newspaper headlines. I wish you could see them. I'm going to show you some charts and graphs. I want you to see them. Yes, I do describe them, but seeing it in video, I think that adds a lot more power. That's what we do really at Rebel News. We're a video company. And even if you don't propose to watch the video version, or Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies and Andrew Chapados, the $8 a month of being a premium subscriber gets you it's actually pretty important to keep us around as as i think you heard yesterday youtube has cut us off from advertising that's a $400,000 hole in our company if you can help us with that $8 a month subscription it would make a real difference please do just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe all right here's today's podcast <laughs> Tonight, Aaron O'Toole says he's gonna campaign on climate change. Is that really what Canadians are talking about? It's March 24th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon hey, consumer yeah. I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The, the only thing I have to say to the government about why i publish because it's my bloody right to do so. For almost a week, I've been wondering why Aaron O'Toole chose to make the center of his pre-election speech at his party's convention the subject of global warming. Of all the things, he chooses a favorite liberal issue, a favorite media party issue, a left-wing issue, a globalist issue, and he's just going to keep talking about it all week long. As we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed
1: the world. Canada has changed. Our party has to change too. There's been a lot of speculation about what I'm going to say about climate change in this speech. We cannot ignore the reality of climate change. The debate is over.
0: Of course, party members disagree. I I don't think it's in the nature of a Conservative to agree when a politician tells him he can no longer question or criticize a public policy. That's more for other obedient parties where individuals passively submit to authority. Doesn't sound very conservative to me, but what gets me is that Aaron O'Toole just won't stop talking about it. He just won't shut up about it. I really think he believes it's a winner for him. Look at this story just in the Globe and Mail. Aaron O'Toole to campaign on climate change plan despite party skepticism on issue. Let me just read a little bit from this Global Mail story. Aaron O'Toole says he will disregard the party's skepticism about climate change and fight the election expected this year with a new policy to help the Conservative Party compete for votes. I am the leader, and this is an important issue for me, he told a Tuesday news conference in Ottawa. The debate is closed. The conservative leader said his caucus backs the development of a serious and comprehensive plan on climate change and the environment that will be released before the election. By the way, you'll notice he's not even talking about the environment. I'm interested in the environment. To me, that means clean air, clean water. He, he's talking about climate change. He's talking about the theory of man-made global warming. That's his central issue. That's what he says there's no debate about anymore. Now, this is a Global Mail article says he's going to focus on this obscure niche left-wing issue in an election where unemployment is 9.4 percent. The lockdown has devastated businesses and families. Civil liberties have been smashed. And Erin O'Toole is obsessed with a fringe lefty issue. Have you ever seen Justin Trudeau obsess about this same issue in the last year? Isn't the big issue the pandemic? The vaccines, the lockdowns, the economy, the side effects of the lockdown on other health problems? Do you know why Justin Trudeau isn't in the news every day talking about global warming the way Aaron O'Toole is right now? It's because no one cares about it right now. No one. And how do I know that? How do I know that Trudeau knows that? Because I have here a copy of a public opinion poll done just for Trudeau. It's a copy of the government of Canada's Official internal survey done for the Privy Council office. That means it's the civil service office dedicated to supporting Trudeau's office and implementing his agenda. So, this was released by the government recently, but it was originally done in confidence just for Trudeau's eyes. The government polls constantly. This was Trudeau's private poll. I think it's actually a weekly poll. Here's the page that discusses its methodology. 10,000-person sample size. That is a very large poll. It's a serious, expensive poll. They survey a 1,000 new people a week. It sounds like a continuous poll if I'm reading it right. So on any given week, the poll is accurate, plus or minus 3%, 19 times out of 20. And here's the very first substantive page in the poll. The most important thing. Look at the question thinking about this issue uh, the issues presently facing canada which one do you feel should receive the greatest attention from the government of canada what should be the top priority and that pink line at the top is the the virus the pandemic 32% i thought it would be higher because that's all the media talks about but the blue line is the economy and jobs unemployment that's at 17% which is in second because I think a lot of real people are worried about that. I haven't seen a more recent version of this Privy Council poll, but I'll look for it because I bet the concern about the economy is actually much higher now, especially since we all see American states opening back up while we in Canada remain largely locked down. And the red line is health and healthcare, 11%. And you see that green line at the bottom that wavers between 3% and 6%, but never gets out of the single digits, that's the environment plus climate change. So anyone who has any concerns about the environment as their number one. Smog, dirty water, litter, garbage, whatever. That plus all the global warming warriors adds up to between 3% and 6% of Canadians. I remember this poll has a margin of error of 3%. So it's pretty much as close to zero as can be measured by this poll. I note that education is just below that, which isn't even a federal issue. Do you take my point? Do you see why Justin Trudeau, who loves talking about global warming, isn't talking about global warming? Do you see why? Because no one, nobody, not a single person, okay, maybe a single person, is thinking about global warming right now. 17% of people say their top issue is unemployment. They're more scared of that than the virus. That probably includes the 9.4% of Canadians who are unemployed. 11% say health care, but not the pandemic. I, I think that might mean people who are worried about, say, hundreds of thousands of canceled surgeries, missed doctor's exams, drug overdoses, depression, all of the result of the lockdown. And Aaron O'Toole has decided... To go fishing for votes, not where the fish are. Not in the 32% who say the pandemic is number one. Not in the 11% who worry about health care in general. Not the 17% worried about the economy. He's aiming for that 3% to 6% who care about global warming. As if they're even open to voting for the conservatives. What on earth is he doing? And the thing is, he's not even promoting or proposing a particular plan. I don't know what his plan is, do you? That Globe story suggests he hasn't written it yet, oh, but there's no debating it. He hasn't written it yet, but when he does, you're not allowed to debate it. He's not putting something forward that's interesting or appealing or debatable. That that could happen, by the way. I mean, our friend Dr. Patrick Moore, one of the co-founders of Greenpeace, very interesting guy, I bet he could actually come up with an environmental plan that's free market and conservative and actually is persuasive. I would be open to that. But we don't have that here. What we just have is Aaron O'Toole saying you're not allowed to talk about it. He's, he's done the opposite of a plan. He has not outlined the plan. He's just saying whatever he's going to say one day about it, he will not allow anyone to criticize it. Except I don't think it works that way. Not in that democracy. Everyone's going to criticize it, whether he likes it or not. Does that mean he's going to kick people out of his party again? His opponents will criticize it, liberals, NDP, the Green Party, the media party, lobbyists, whatever? Does he think that only conservatives will be silent in this debate, that they should be silent? But mainly, he's just telling his people to shut up and agree with whatever he says, whatever that is. And what is it? Who knows? I just don't think that's how it works. I I just don't think that's how successful political campaigns work. And if you care about ideas, which some people do, I, I just don't think that that's this is an issue that's a winner. The Prime Minister's own poll says it will not work. I promise you, if Erin O'Toole were talking about the important stuff in Canada, global warming would not be the headline in in the Globe and Mail. I I don't think it would be this headline in the National Post. I don't think it would be this headline in the National Post. I, I don't think it would be this headline in La Presse, in Montreal. I don't think it would be this headline in, oh, say, the Brandon Sun, I don't think it would be this headline, in the CBC, et cetera, ad infinitum. I promise you, those stories about Aaron O'Toole and global warming would not be there if Aaron O'Toole had not put them there. By making global warming and his demand for total obedience from the conservatives and his promise to make campaigning on global warming his central talking point, he just won't stop talking about it. He won't stop stepping on this rake. This is as if Trudeau just kept talking about the weed charity scandal with the Kielbergers, or the SNC-Lavalin scandal, or if he wouldn't shut up about his own blackface, or if he wouldn't shut up about groping Rose Knight in Creston, B.C. He would ensure those stories were in the news every day. Why would he do that? Why would Aaron O'Toole rub salt into a wound in his party every day? A wound that he himself created but won't stop talking about I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. He's going to get slaughtered in the coming election. Mark my words. And, and when he does, I bet you he'll blame conservatives for messing it up for him. Because as you can see, if he could have just cracked that global warming vote, the election would be his. Oh, my God. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, it's no surprise that Aaron O'Toole has ordered mere party members to shut up on the question of global warming. Because after all, Aaron O'Toole ordered Pierre Polyev out of the position of finance critic and he outright threw Derek Sloan, the Member of Parliament for Hastings, Lennox, and Addington, and a leadership rival out of the party on the flimsiest pretext. Well, that same Derek Sloan was reported to have dominated the policy convention, at least in terms of the votes, and he joins us now via Skype from his riding of Belleville, Ontario. Derek, welcome back to the program. It's nice to have you here. Um, What do you make of the policy convention that the party just held. It was a virtual convention, so I don't really know what that's like. Uh, Was it a success, and what was your role in it?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. Um, I I sent out an email to my uh, supporters uh, doing a post-convention recap, and I said that we sort of accomplished three things. We accomplished uh, passing a lot of good policies, preventing a lot of bad policies from being uh, passed, and also catching the party uh, cheating uh, in in sort of broad daylight. And and fourthly, um, I said three things, but the, I just thought of a fourth. The fourth thing is that we uh, we forced Aaron O'Toole to show his true colors, which is basically he doesn't care what the base says. He's going to do it his way. So I think all of those things were accomplished, and I can talk about any of those uh, with you if you'd like.
0: Yeah, well, now first of all, tell me, you yourself would not have been – a delegate, because I guess you were extirpated from not just the caucus, but from the party itself, am I right? Did they remove your party membership so you yourself could not participate? Is that right?
1: So they did remove my membership. Uh, My wife was actually a voting delegate, but I was not uh, technically uh, uh, present at the uh, convention.
0: Right. And when you say we, you speak in the first person plural. Who was your team? When When you say we enacted good policies we stopped bad policies who's the who's the rest of them
1: well good you know good true blue conservatives across the country um, I had been organizing for several months leading into the convention we don't know exact numbers but we think somewhere between 40 to 50 percent of delegates were uh, you know Derek Sloan supporters or, or true blue conservatives and uh, we, we did a pretty good job um, we out of I sent out a voter's guide 25 out of 27, uh, constitutional amendments went the way that I suggested they should. 100% of policy went the way I said it should. And we got about 50% of national counselors that I endorsed. So, um, you know, uh, good, good results. And it's, it's not so much me, but just the, the membership and the base speaking, uh, and, and they were heard. Now, there were some things the party did that were basically cheating, but, uh, with what we were able to do, we did well.
0: Well, it sounds like it with those stats you've said. But let me ask you: What is the game plan if you have been kicked out of the caucus, and if you've been kicked out of the party? Sounds like your wife is still in the party, but if I understand what you've told me, that means you will not be able to run for re-election as a conservative. Um, you, you know, you may have allies or like-minded people on the inside, but what is your mission? if you are blocked from being part of the Aaron O'Toole team? It sounds like you're, you don't really want to be be part of a team that is policy-wise and otherwise conduct-wise contrary to, to your views. I mean, it's, it sounds like the two of you are in a feud of sorts, but he is the leader, so what do you do if you're on the outs?
1: Well, I'm focusing right now on being the best member of parliament that I can be, and I'm working on certain initiatives. I'm able to... Ask the uh, the government basically anything I want without anybody breathing down my neck. Um, it's possible that some of my friends on the inside will raise the question at National Council again with respect to me. Um, I'm not that worried about that right now. I'm just uh, doing everything I can to do what members of parliament are supposed to do, which is raise issues and, and debate real questions.
0: Now, let me ask you about your district association. I think they're called EDAs. When I was young, they were called riding associations it's basically the local board of directors for the party their job is to raise money select a candidate and then provide volunteer labor uh, i understand that the party took steps to dissolve or to otherwise challenge your board can you give me an update on that is that an accurate report and if so what happened
1: so the that is an accurate report the the uh, sent them notice that they would be dissolved now, there's a 60-day uh, waiting period, and I think National Council of the party would have to sort of confirm that or ratify that, which they have not yet done. Um, basically, my riding EDA was upset at what happened to me, and they asked the party for reasons as to why. They received none, and they pushed back a little bit more, and the party uh, got sick of it and pulled the plug on them, hmm. which is pr- pretty unprecedented uh, for people who uh, you know follow politics.
0: Yeah, and, and those are the, I, I used to use the phrase, grass tops. This is the grassroots, but the grass tops, these are the, the opinion leaders, the, the, the volunteer coordinators, these are the folks who would put in, you know, 40 hour volunteer weeks, 50 hour volunteer weeks during an election. Um, it, it's terrible that the party is quarreling with itself in that way. Let me ask you um, do you plan on running in the next election? perhaps as an independent or an independent conservative or something like that? Are you going to run again, even though you won't have the party banner?
1: Well, I I haven't made any official announcements, but I have I have said that I'm not going anywhere. I'm just getting started. So I'll let people read into that what they will. Um, but listen, I got into politics to fight for the, the values I've been fighting for. And uh, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going quietly out into the night.
0: Yeah. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in Aaron O'Toole. I, I don't understand his war against you. Maybe it's a rivalry thing. I'm completely baffled by his demotion of Pierre Polyev, even if he claims it's not a demotion. I note that Pierre Polyev was not a speaker at the convention. At least he wasn't on the official schedule. Can you confirm that Pierre Polyev, who I regard as a star of the party, can you confirm that he actually had no role in the convention?
1: So I, I did not see him at the convention, no.
0: I find that most curious. I mean, the guy, um, he can do the job. He's a, he's a great communicator. He, he's shown himself in the We Charity matter. Uh, he seems to have a good command of the finance file. I find that puzzling. Help me understand this. What I mean, put, a, put aside our story. I think Aaron O'Toole dismissed us in a baffling way also. Uh, I mean, he did an email interview with me about the China files. We published it. I think he was spooked by the media party reaction and he threw us under the bus. It felt odd. What he did to you felt odd. What he did to Pierre Paglia feels odd. What he's doing on the climate file, it seems strange. I just don't get the plan. Is it just move the party to the left in the hope of wooing Ontario and Quebec? Is it that simple?
1: I think it is that simple. I think there's also a lot of confusion within the ranks. Uh, I don't think that they necessarily know what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, but yeah, I think that general idea that they want to sort of be as, you know, uh, palatable, as, as bland as possible to not offend anybody, I think that is part of it for sure.
0: When do you think we're going to have an election? And in, in your mind, what's your best guess of when the election will be called or when the election day will actually come? So
1: obviously nobody knows, but my my hunch is that it might be the fall. The fall. And I have a few reasons for saying that.
0: Um, Are you, uh, do you believe the polls right now? I, 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 from time to time, refer to the poll aggregator that the CBC has. It's not their own polls. It's just they put all the polls on one page, and then they've got a statistician trying to muddle out some sort of aggregate number. It suggests that the Liberals have like a 90% chance of winning and, um, a very strong chance of a majority. They predict the conservatives will actually lose more than a dozen seats, maybe 20. Is that your sense of how things are going?
1: Yeah. So if we had an election tomorrow, I think that's exactly the way it would, would play out. Um, and we'll see how things change uh, moving forward. If in fact they do.
0: Um, can I ask you about Maxime Bernier? I, I, I like a lot of Maxime Bernier's ideas, but I, I can observe that he does not have a seat in Parliament, and that when he ran in a by-election, he got single digits in the Greater Toronto area. Uh, I mean, I like his style. He's brash and audacious, and I like his presence on Twitter. Do you have any contact with him that you are able to disclose? Do you do you feel that uh, there's anything that the People's Party of Canada could or should do? Do you have an opinion of them? Um I mean, I, I like having them around, but I regard him almost like a pundit now. Uh, if is that the wrong approach?
1: So I, uh, I I've been working with Maxime on the uh, in the lockdowns caucus. We've been uh, together personally in the same room uh, three times over the last couple of months. Um, we, there are no sort of secret uh, dialogues going on uh, be- between us and and joining the PPC. He's he's given me an open invitation. Um, right now, I'm focused on, uh, you know, kind of first, sort of fighting my battle with uh, the conservatives. But now I'm focused on the parliamentary work that I have. I, I like him. I, I like a lot of the things that he says. Um, you know, and this is me as a, as a as an outsider. It seems that they've had some difficulty gaining traction. Uh, I don't know why necessarily, but uh, but it does appear they've had some difficulty doing that. But listen, I wish him all the best, and I think uh, I think uh, the the things he's doing are are valuable things. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You mentioned the lockdown caucus. We're familiar with some of the players involved there. Randy Hillier, we like his fighting style. There's others involved, including in Alberta. Uh, I have found it perplexing that not a single conservative party, not a single opposition party in Canada at the federal or provincial level has had a sustained, principled, Critique of lockdowns in this country. That's my observation. Maybe you disagree with that. I look by contrast to the United States, where of the 50 states you have a range of approaches, you have real anti-lockdown leaders like Ron DeSantis in Florida, Christy Noam in South Dakota, and you have the other approach, Gavin Newsom in California, etc. So you have a there's at least a spectrum of different points of view. Can you help me understand? Why there, I mean, we have such meek opposition to lockdowns and lockdownism and restrictions on travel and restrictions on civil liberties. I don't see any leadership at the party level. There's a few independents like you and Randy Hillier, but why is there no conservatives fighting against this as there are in the states?
1: It's a good question. I don't. I don't know. I think it comes down to cowardice and feeling that if they if they come out too early with this stuff, they're going to get punished in the polls. Uh, oddly enough, we had an opposition day motion yesterday where the conservatives were asking and demanding a plan uh, within 20 days for the government to to tell us, you know, how they're going to open things up. And you know, I voted in favor of it, but listen, that came about 10 or 11 months too late. Um, and if you actually watch the debate there wasn't a lot of discussion about actual, uh, sort of scientific differences. And, and there's good science that people who are skeptical of lockdowns can, can point to. There's the Great Barrington Declaration, there's, there's other things. Um, none of that was raised by the conservatives in the debate. I did my best to raise, uh, I pointed out the, uh, the issue with uh, the PCR tests, I pointed out some other issues as well. Um, but, you know, it's been, if, if anything that has come has been sort of too little too late. There hasn't been a sustained approach. It hasn't come at the right time. Um, so I, I don't know what to say. It's, just, it's a failure of leadership, a uh, failure of courage. And uh, I'm glad that the conservatives are finally uh, talking about it now, but it's too late.
0: Yeah. One of the things at the federal level, I mean, I, I think that a lot of the lockdowns are coming at the provincial level, which is where a lot of the health jurisdictions are. And at the city level, at least that's how it looks to me when I think of Toronto or Calgary or Vancouver, BC, whatever. Um, So I don't know exactly what levers there are at the federal level. I think travel, international travel and quarantines is a big one. Do you have any opinion about that? I learned recently that Israel and the United Arab Emirates, those are two different countries fairly far apart, but they just signed a peace deal. They've had a travel bubble between them. So so for quarantine purposes, they've removed the quarantine. But I thought that was very interesting. They obviously, I mean, both are very vaccinated places. They have a peace deal. They want to do well economically. So they made a bubble between them. I I wonder if there's anything we could do to open up the, the travel border with the United States, which is our best friend, biggest ally, biggest commerce, source of tourism. I think our tourism industry... The travel industry is devastated. Do you have an opinion about the border, about these quarantine hotels, about the 14-day quarantine? Because I feel like we're under some sort of house arrest.
1: Yeah. So I, I, uh, I'll answer that. I just wanted to go back a little. I do agree that the decision to lock down is provincial and 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 potentially on a you know a health unit by health unit basis. But I feel that leadership has been lacking from the federal government. And even if all Justin Trudeau did was go out there and give, you know, straight goods to quell some of the unnecessary fear mongering that's going on out there, that would have done a load of good. I mean, imagine if he went out there and said, listen, guys, this is a you know, a serious situation that we're in. But uh, just so you know, we're, we're seeing that the bulk of fatalities are in seniors with multiple comorbidities. So if you're, you know, a 14 year old in good health, you don't have to be, uh, you know, Shivering at home, uh, worried about uh, uh, you know worried that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know th- this type of sort of leadership was lacking. Um, obviously, I have my issues with how different provinces have have handled this, but on the uh, on the federal file, I obviously don't see why people need to be quarantining at special hotels. They could quarantine just as well at home. Um, I, I think we've just you know really failed to adopt the reality of this particular virus which is basically that some people are, you know, particularly prone to this, but many are not. Mm -hmm. And every single uh, sort of approach we've taken is sort of across the board. Uh, Whoever you are, uh, it it applies to you. And and really, we needed sort of segmented, targeted approaches. And we're we're still not really seeing that. And uh, if we had done that from the beginning, we could have had far fewer deaths in long-term care homes. I mean, we knew right off the bat that these, almost right off the bat, that these people were far more susceptible. So we've done, you know, far too much for most people and not nearly enough for sure. for our, our seniors. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's been a shame.
0: You're being very generous with your time. I won't keep you too much longer, but there's one more thing I want to talk about, about the Conservative Party of Canada and Aaron O'Toole in particular. I remember during the leadership race, there was some pressure on you from the caucus uh, you had said something criticizing Teresa Tam working for the World Health Organization. We we believe the same thing, by the way. We don't understand how you can be loyal to the United Nations and sign a loyalty pledge and a non-disclosure agreement with them, which she did, and also serve as Canada's public health officer. That's, that's an obvious conflict to us. But some folks were trying to drum you out of the caucus, if I recall. And Aaron O'Toole actually stood up for you. At least it appeared that way. He said he did. And he said, this is a sign I'm against cancel culture. And I thought that was a magnanimous move. That looked like a big, like he was a a big man uh, that even reaching out to a rival. Now, as soon as he won, I think the mask slipped and and he quickly revealed himself to be a cancel culture guy more than most. And so I note that in the convention and in his keynote speech, he never referred to cancel culture Or freedom of speech and I feel that both are critical issues for all Canadians but especially conservatives I know that the very second bullet point in Stephen Gilboa's mandate letter from Justin Trudeau is censorship of social media I feel the pressure for that because because we are social media I think all conservatives should care does the Conservative Party of Canada care do you care what should they do? What could they do? What will you do? Talk a bit about this gaping hole in the federal party.
1: Well, there certainly is a, a major issue with social media censorship. And uh, if, if the conservatives, uh, you know, had the uh, fortitude, they would, they would campaign on this, right? I mean, there's a, a mounting frustration with, uh, you know, sort of uh, the politically correct nature of, of these social media platforms and the deplatforming. You know, I I wouldn't expect much from them on it. I mean, you know, again, I think that Aaron O'Toole did what he thought he needed to win. I, you know, having my second votes, having Leslie Lewis's second votes was was part of his strategy. And so he followed that through. Uh, We're no longer part of his strategy. Uh, You know, cracking down on social media, all of this is not part of his strategy. His strategy is reaching out to, uh, you know, urban area soccer moms. So I wouldn't expect a lot from him on that. But you're right. It's a major problem. And um, it needs to be addressed, and it's 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 frightening what we're seeing. Hmm.
0: Well, listen, it's interesting to catch up with you uh, to hear that you're busy with things. You, you, even though the party has kicked you out on a formal way, you sound still very engaged in its policy matters. It sounds like you're busy in Parliament itself, and I, you know, your answer was somewhat cryptic about what your future plans are, but it has led me at the very least to st- to keep paying attention that there may be news to come in the weeks or months ahead. It's good to stay in touch with you. Um, and uh, I hope that when you have news, either parliamentary news or news about the party or news about your own future, I hope that you'll bring it to us because I know a lot of our viewers are very interested in what you're up to.
1: Well, if you wouldn't mind, I, I'll just mention something I'm doing right now. Um, I've started a petition to uh, for those who are against a vaccination passport. And uh, there's many reasons why one might be against those types of things. But this would be something that would prevent your ability to move or travel uh, based on whether or not you've been vaccinated. And uh, I have that petition on my website. And for anyone who wishes to sign it, they can go to DerekSloan.ca. And right now we have about 32,000 and change signatures. And uh, I intend to present that on the floor of the House of Commons. So if anyone would like to add their name to that, uh, they can be included when I present that.
0: Well, that's excellent. That's at Uh, You know, I, I wasn't going to ask this question, but you just made me think of it again, so I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, 32,000 names, those are people who are skeptics of the government, skeptics of the surveillance state, the violation of privacy. That's a good group of people. And whatever your political future is, whether it's in parliament or some sort of NGO or think tank, having... Thirty-two thousand allies on them that's a strong base can i ask you and i suppose i could find out other ways after your leadership race was over did you retain uh was it part of the rules that you would retain your list of supporters because if so that's quite a base of operations to do conservative political work do you have that leadership list is it yours legally
1: yeah, so that's a good question. So the the leadership the leadership list I do not have. However, uh, in the process of the of the leadership race, I of course cultivated many contacts, which I do have legal right to. So there are uh, many tens of thousands of Canadians across the country who uh, reached out to me in various ways, and I do have their their contact information, and I do uh, do contact them. So. Um, the, the, you know, the entire party list. No, I do not have that. But in terms of context that I cultivated myself and it's many, uh, well, I won't tell you the full number, but it's, it's many, many, many. And, uh, and yes, I absolutely do, uh, use that to, uh, to reach out to people and let them know what I'm doing.
0: Well, I'm glad you do. And that's one of the things we do at Rebel News. We talk to people by email, we bring things to their attention. We ask their point of view and, uh, That's a ticket for a number of activities, whether it's running for office or starting a think tank. And I'm glad you're doing that because whether it's to uh, put yourself back into elected politics or to become a policy guru or some sort of a think tank, I think Canada desperately needs that. And um, I think, frankly, the Conservative Party needs that. It needs pressure and if you have that base and that list and that name recognition, that's a tremendous tool to do it. I'm sure we'll know more about your plans when you're ready to tell us. In the meantime, it's great to have you back on the show and thank you.
1: Anytime, thanks for having me.
0: All right, there you have it, Derek Sloan. You can find out more of what he's up to at Sloan.ca, including his petition against vaccine passports. Stay with us, More Moorhead. being demonetized on YouTube Andrea writes I've been following you since your days at Sun news and since the day rebel began and I won't stop now Andrea thank you very much for that YouTube can't kill us we we will survive we must survive it's just a shame to be driven off such a large platform and for no good reason that's what gets me if we had done something crazy all right I'll take my lumps but when I called the YouTube rep there was no video that got us in trouble we still have zero strikes in the three strikes, you're out YouTube uh, policy system. I don't understand it. Tyson writes, we all knew this day was coming, no surprises. Personally, this is the day I cancel my monthly premium YouTube subscription. Yeah, we're going to try and get our ads back, but I, I just think they're very whimsical. And as I said to our YouTube rep on the phone, If they're willing to take down President Donald Trump, I think they're pretty willing to take down Rebel News. They just, they have no shame anymore. On Pastor Coates, Paul writes, great to see the pastor being released. This is a black spot on Kenny and the UCP record. Oh, there's a lot of people to blame here. The government, the prosecutor, the judge, Alberta Health. I think it's bizarre. I think it's a black mark. And also the media who were either silent or cheering his arrest. And actually other faith leaders. Where are the other pastors and priests and bishops and rabbis and followers of other religions too? I think this was a great shame for all of Canada. That's our story for today. That's our show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.